Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're staying healthy, I hope you're staying happy, and I hope that you're staying safe. My guest today joins me via Zoom. Kaija is a singer, songwriter, and pop star with a fascinating story of resilience. From the reserves of the Royal Canadian Navy, to writing songs for people like Rihanna, to her single Hideaway debuting at number one on the UK singles chart, to collaborating with everyone from Duran Duran to Pitbull and Diplo, she is a bona fide pop princess. Then, in 2017, she suffered life-altering injuries when a taxi T-boned the car she was riding in. Her recovery from the traumatic brain injury was slow and painstaking, involving staying in a darkened room for six months, but she's back with a new album, a new self-run record label, and a new outlook. In this interview, we talk about coming back from accident-induced medical issues, the new album Crave, her new way of looking at things. Let's get to know Kaija. When you were growing up, uh, I know you were a dancer and, and music must have played some role in your life, but what role did it play? How important was music to you? Music's just been the soundtracks in my whole life. Um, as a dancer growing up, it was classical music. I was involved every single day of life. I was going and dancing to music and doing classical piano. So I was very, very influenced by classical music early in my life. And then theater music, I was in, involved in Broadway. I was in Annie and I was in Little Shop of Horrors and all types <laughs> of school, as you, yeah, <laughs> um, all types of school plays and things like that. So really the thread that has just kind of tied my life together has been music. Even, you know, skip, jumping ahead to the Navy, music is what got me through polishing my boots, polishing my gun, these long marches that we had to do for, you know, however many miles, you know, we, we got through it by singing together and chanting together. And um, music is what got us from point A to point B. And I just realized the power of music. And then eventually when I started sailing tall ships um, and was a crew member and you know, obviously I wasn't hired as a lullabyist on a, on a tall ship, but <laughs> people had trouble sleeping at nights when storms hit and the pots and pans were flying around in the, the cupboards. And um, I ended up singing people to sleep almost every night and they go right to sleep. You know, nothing changed. The storm didn't change. The pots and pans continued, but just by bringing out a guitar, singing them a few lullabies, it was enough. And then I realized that music is this powerful thing that has the ability to change the state of mind that a person's in. And that means that I have the power to heal, the power to help, the power to get people through things and help them overcome obstacles and help myself in the, in, through the same process. So it just, it seemed like the perfect choice of combining something I was passionate about with a career. Well, how important has music been in your recuperation? It was three years ago that you had a terrible car accident in Toronto. Wow. Uh, I've seen you once in that three years, you were on my TV show and you told me a little bit about it, but talk a little bit about that if you can. And then let's talk about the, the good stuff that's come from there. Because when I was reading about you, I'm hearing that you are looking at this as, or finding somehow, finding the positive in yeah. all of this, which is, I guess, what you have to do to survive. It's really the only way to get through something that's this traumatic. Because if you focus on the negative, you're not going to go anywhere because it's pretty much all negative. Mm -hmm. And it's, you, you don't even have to focus on the negative because it's there all the time. It's just the pain's there, the uh, 
the setbacks are there, the, the literally the lack of connection for me to the world. Everything was just disconnected really. And I felt very alone, very isolated because I was. And um, I, I had to focus on the positive. I had to look to the future. I had to find hope within myself. And the only way to do that is to be positive and believe that <laughs> I would get there. How hard was that? Were there moments where you just shook your head and said, this, I, I've, I've had enough. I, I, maybe the old life oh, that I had isn't coming back. Oh, the old life that I had is not coming back. I mean, yeah. I had to accept that. And that's what, that's what ultimately allowed me to heal is to just, I had to say goodbye to the life that I had and then accept that change was coming. Um, most of that change was gonna happen within myself and that I, I knew I was gonna come out of this as a different person, which meant that things were not going back to the way they were. And it was gonna be a new me. I didn't know who that was gonna be. And I just surrendered to that, to that change. And the moment that I just allowed myself to relax and accept that things were not gonna ever be the same, that's when I became open. My heart opened up and, you know, all my muscles relaxed, my, my stress level went down. And I just was hopeful that I come out of this a stronger person. That was the most important thing. And at least what people do know about me is that I've changed my, my careers and <laughs> my interests very drastically. And I've been a lot of things already. So <laughs> I was just like, you know what, if, if I can't do music anymore, something is going to come to me. And I'm going to be passionate about that. And Honestly, it did happen, and I literally thought I was going down another road, but then I started picking up a ukulele, singing. I tapped back into my old folk roots again, actually, and just started writing the way I used to when I was first starting, and I realized that this is actually healing me. This music that got me started is what's getting me through this hard time, and that I do have to get back to music because it is powerful. It's a power that I possess, and it's a power that I have to give, and I felt like I needed to had more to give still. Oh, I said I was kind of diverting a little bit. And then finally, I just, it all came together. And I was prepared to come back as a ukulele player. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You're listening to my interview with Hideaway hit maker, Kaija. Well, that tour was very successful. Yeah, it was sold out. It was amazing. And it was the small rooms, yeah. which was, which I love because I was able to see every face in the room. I mean, some of the songs I sang, which, People got to hear songs that aren't even out yet. Um, brought people to tears in the audience. And it overwhelmed me. It brought me to tears as I was trying to sing them sometimes. There's a lot of really painful things that I was experiencing. But, you know, when you have a brain injury, there's all these psychedelic things you experience as well, like all these colors. And, you know, I've never done psychedelics, but I definitely know what psychedelics are like now because I have had a psychedelic experiences. Really? That I can't believe. Oh, yeah. Like feeling things happening on my hands, like. That, like I, I feel like my hand there's a hole burning in my hand <laughs> like wow just like because my brain was bruised or whatever was going on was it was just trying to figure things out and well and as that's happening I mean the first time it happens it, does it feel natural and you think well no. this is really happening or you're aware that it is something it is not natural it is confusing it is scary and it's really cool at the same time like I saw these giant floating orbs like just be sitting in a room and there'd just be this giant ball of like floating purple in the room. And I, I was like, is that like an, is that like a person in another dimension that's here? Like, 
to say something to me because it, it looks like real orb to me like what is this ball of purple or is this my brain's just literally my occipital lobe is swollen like I don't know what it is but I'm just like for me it was like I could either panic or just enjoy the giant purple orb and I was trying to just enjoy it <laughs> I'd be like well I probably won't see this forever so I'm gonna just embrace the weirdness of what I'm going through and try to use that as the positive silver lining. <laughs> when I was reading about you, there's a quote where you say, there's one hour that defined my life. And I thought it was going to be the hour in which the car accident happened, but it wasn't. It's the hour that it took you to write Hideaway, the song that <laughs> that uh, went to number one. And, and, and I mean, it was such a huge hit. I, I honestly, the truth is, is the song was finished in 90 minutes start to finish production everything and this, the the song itself was probably written in 20 minutes because i wrote it in about five the melody in about five minutes on the mic i literally jumped on the mic sang the melody the whole melody was done walked out of the booth i was trying to catch a plane and i was late so i didn't have time to to think or take my time so i was just like let me just fill in these lyrics as fast as i can when i get to la i was flying to la i'll update it but the, but by the time i got to la he'd sent me the demo and i listened and i was like i think i like everything about this like no need to change and so the song itself i mean was finished in 90 minutes and we never mixed or mastered the song like it's what you hear is the demo because <laughs> we didn't have a mixing budget or a mastering budget mm. you know we're just like i think this sounds good <laughs> like, let's put it out well a lot of people agreed i mean this was <laughs> a song that became such an enormous hit and What's it like to kind of have that happen? I mean, it's a song that you wrote in 20 minutes that you didn't master, that, and then all of a sudden it's a life-changing event. What was it like to be in the middle of that maelstrom? Uh, well, I mean, I, I tell everyone it's like being shot out of a cannon yeah. without any prep, like without anyone telling you it's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, my, my experience with my own music being received in a, on a digital platform was like, my friends on Facebook listening to it and I was writing for other people and I was still kind of getting known as a writer behind the scenes and I had songs that were starting to get cut that had been unreleased so I hadn't tasted any real success out in the world yet I had I knew it was coming in some form and I thought it, that was me as a songwriter behind the scenes so Hideaway is funny because I wrote it and people wanted to pitch it to Mariah Carey or you know people who had sung music like that in the past and yeah. I just it felt perfect for my voice and I, I remember just being like I actually think I should put this out I don't know why but I it just feels right <laughs> and so you know people were like uh, well I mean you know you're a writer you should you should pitch the good songs to people and I was like nah I think I'll do this myself and then I did the video and stuck it on my Facebook and pfft, <laughs> the rest the rest is a bit of history. We are midway through my interview with hitmaker Kaija. Her new album, Crave, is available now wherever you legally rent or download music. A number of years ago, she left a major label to go out on her own. Here's her story about why she wanted to do business for herself. I'm perfectly willing to, to take risks and accept, you know, accept any faults that come my way. I'm like, if an obstacle is placed in front of me, I can overcome it. Um, with the label, it was just, they stuck a wall up with no, with no way of jumping over it. And obviously I did get around that hurdle eventually, but 
it was, it was just, they didn't even let me overcome any, anything. It was just, no, 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 no. Followed by more no's. And, <laughs> and you know what really hit me one day was when I was texting one of the people at the label about this big idea I had for Phantom and the Dance Floor. And I was mm. like, I want to combine house music with theatrical Freddie Mercury vibes, you know, and, and make a theater production with campy Rocky Horror Picture Show vibes. And I have the whole vision and I got the text back I received. I got to go find that if I can, because I just frame it on my wall. <laughs> Was, I don't think that your vision for yourself is the same as our vision for you. <laughs> wow. And how do you and respond to something like that? A bit like Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, I remember I was with Chris Malinchuk, a really good friend of mine, in the room writing for either his project or mine at the time. And he said that he's never seen the look in a person's eyes that he saw in my eyes after this phone call I received while I was in or this text. He's like, you, you, you turned into a dragon. And then I just looked at him and I was like, I have to go back to Canada. <laughs> Bought a ticket, went back to Toronto. I hand built my own set for a month. The whole set of, of that that you see in Fan of the Dance Floor, I, I built, hand built. I learned to wire electricity. I learned to, you know, run fog machines. I built, they all have with a hammer and nails. <laughs> oh, I, I went into this, like nothing was going to stop me. That, that video was happening no yeah. matter what. And they were not going to, they, they were like, no, it was not going to happen. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, it's happening. And so, you know, I turned into this, you know, I was really like Michael Jordan, just like nothing. My focus was like ironclad and, and there it was, but unfortunately I did that. And then I got in the car crash. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the, the energy to actually push it when I put it out, but I had to put something out that kept me motivated. So I put that out actually during the car crash and, you know, wheeled myself to get you know, my hair together. It was really, really hard. And so many challenging moments to, to put that out and look like I had some, some sort of energy behind it, but I really didn't at the time. You're listening to my interview with Kaja. Find her new album, Crave, wherever you buy fine music. Crave is the album right now uh, yeah. that we're talking about. Tell me a little bit about uh, the songs. Are these all new songs or were there some things that were written previous to the crash? How does that, how does that all work? Well, all new to people, but yeah, mm -hmm. um, Run Renegade, which is one of my favorites on the album, is was written before. I loved the vibe. I was just, it was one that I had actually, believe it or not, during being on the label that I brought to them. And it was just like, sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, how, how could you say no to a song like this? It's like, yeah. I mean, how could they hold this back? Crazy. <laughs> so I was like, no, this out, this song's coming out. I need an album that it fits on. And that wasn't like why I did this album. I just, I was born, I was brought up with parents that played so much 80s music of all types that, I mean, 80s is literally written to my DNA. I can't avoid it. There's always a hint of 80s and retro in what I write just because of how much my parents played 80s music. <laughs> was there a difference in your songwriting process before and after the accident? Not really totally different. I'm more confident now and I'm a faster writer than I ever was because to write during my head injury recovery, I had small windows to write a song before my head would crash because writing lyrics is a lot of my brain reading is a lot of my brain so 
reading my own lyrics as I write them would just would crash my head. So I had about sometimes 10 minutes to write a song. <laughs> wow. And I wouldn't always complete the whole song. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd have to come back to the lyrics, but 10 minutes to do the melody and then had to come back. And my writing, I'm more open to letting my writing go through a process and revisiting it and coming back to songs because that was what I was forced to do. Um, but there's a process of revisiting that you actually, by taking a step back and coming back to songs, you see things that need to change or that could be improved. And I feel like I've become definitely a stronger songwriter. At the end of the day, what do you hope people take away from the music on Crave? I just, I, the, the purpose of this album is really to help get people into a positive headspace. So I want people to turn it on when they're, you know, when they're really trying to get into a good mood or when they're already in a good mood and just want to, just want to get into that feeling even more. Um, the whole album is positive. Even Love Never Dies, which is a darker kind of rock leaning tune. It has a positive twist to it. I'd say that's the darkest song on the whole album. Well, it is the darkest song on the whole album, but there's, it's empowering. You know, it's love never dies. It's alive in our broken hearts and our swollen eyes. And um, I want, I wanted to give something to people, especially now in this year when everyone's confused, don't know what's going on. People are really depressed and scared. It's here's just a, a dose of positivity uplifting energy and I think it will help people get through this time and I think it's going to be perfect because the music to come and I think we're all going to be transitioning back into what we used to know and hopefully I'm hoping yeah. things definitely that we can start mingling more in the near future I think people are going to be able to process what they were going through and that's when I'm going to start releasing more introspective and lyrical music which is already a lot of it's written and just in the process of Going through. People are definitely going to relate to all sides of what I'm putting out, the positive and the, the darker, not negative. I, I, I don't see dark times as bad. I think they're good. They're what help us change and shift and look and go within ourselves. You learn from them. You learn from them and learning and change and growth is the best, the best thing we can, that can ever happen to us. So the dark times are often the best times if you just can see them that way and push through the resistance that come with them. That was my interview with Kaija. You can find her new album, Crave, wherever you legally download or buy music. Just a little bit later on in the show, I'll introduce you to the stars of SpongeBob SquarePants, Sponge on the Run. That's in theaters right now. Uh, that's Bill Fagerbaki and Tom Kenny. They talk about the movie and about playing those characters, those very popular characters, for more than 20 years. But first, a legend. In a career that spans five decades, Shaka Khan has sold an estimated 70 million records. She's collaborated with everyone from Ry Cooter and Robert Palmer to Ray Charles and Quincy Jones from Chicago to De La Soul and Mary J. Blige. She's a musician, singer, songwriter, and she has a shelf full of Grammys. I had the chance to speak with the music legend via Zoom to talk to her about her role as the voice of Henrietta the Chicken in the new Disney Plus film, The One and Only Ivan. Based on the best-selling children's novel, it's the story of a gorilla named Ivan who tries to piece together his past with the help of an elephant named Stella as they hatch a plan to escape from captivity.
Shaka Khan tells me she was attracted to this script because she's an animal fan and that any story that features a menagerie grabs her attention. We began this conversation talking about how her character changed from the original script. Here's Shaka Khan. I'll just cross the road then. Why would you cross the road? To get to the other side. <laughs> a while back when we were first looking at what kind of character they wanted me to be, it was a parrot. We were mm -hmm. thinking of parrot before. And then we decided, they came back to me a while later with this Polish chicken, which I thought was fabulous. I, I, they showed me a picture of what the actual Polish chicken looks like. It's a beautiful bird. It's got the hair. It's got, <laughs> we have certain similarities. <laughs> and so I was happy with my, with my person, my persona. And um, the rest is just, finding my voice and um, we found, found that was already here. We, you know, we went for like, how can you say this in a chicken like way? Blah, blah, blah. You know, Danny DeVito and I, you know, it's, it's stupid to search. And finally Danny just said, Look, just say it, <laughs> just say it like yourself. So, and so in this, doing this film, I found myself as well, okay? My, I found my voice in a sense. Let's give him a great show, okay? A one and only. Why do they want an angry gorilla anyway? You're a silverback. He terrifies humans. <laughs> You're not terrifying. What did you have in your mind that is different than what we hear and see in the film? Well, the, the, the thing is, is that I had no expectations. You know, I really didn't know what to expect. I went in and uh, when I Daddy was sitting there and we explored a few ways to talk and um, everything just wasn't clicking. And as we were just discussing, you know, that the fact that it wasn't clicking, he said, Shabba, he said, just talk about yourself. So often when the vocal tracks are recorded for these movies, animated films and, and films with a lot of other uh, voice work in them, you're not with the other actors. So were you actually in working with the actors at the same time? No. No, it's just like I always work. <laughs> That's how I do it. All, I've been doing it for almost 50 years with music. Yeah. I, I, I've never sung a duet with the person yet. <laughs> you know, right. So, um, yeah, and with this new technology now, you could do, you know, sinless possibilities. So, um, no, it was nothing new for me. It was me standing at a mic doing my bit. And the other artists were there on screen whilst I was doing it. You know, so I was interacting with them. That was Shaka Khan. You can see her as Henrietta in the one and only Ivan starting August 21st on Disney+. Plus. Can you tell me a story? Once there was a baby elephant who was smart and brave and she needed to live in the wild where she could be free. Now, this film has such lovely messages, I think, for kids and adults about how we should regard animals, uh, that animals have feelings that I think sometimes maybe people forget. And that for me was the real takeaway. As this movie goes on and we get into uh, the last, particularly the last half hour of it, uh, it's really moving in a way that I, I don't think I expected it 
to be. And I'm not sure why I thought that, but the animals became real for me. And I think that's yeah. the success of the film. After I found my voice and said, okay, this is what you're gonna use. I didn't think chicken ever after that. I was just an entity talking to other entities, <laughs> which, is the, which is beautiful. Just what it's all about. Get the message. You're listening to my interview with Shaka Khan, the legendary singer and now star of The One and Only Ivan, now on Disney+. Plus. Two questions here. Uh, what's the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? And what advice would you give to people who are just starting out now, who are looking at a career as a performer or someone in the public eye? I would tell anybody looking to, to work in this profession, get a, uh, you know, get some understanding of it first before you, you, you jump off into this field of work because it's, it's a lot going on. I would suggest that they get some, do some reading on the, some books there. There's a lot of books that offer a lot of insight as to what this business is about. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would suggest that they read up on some stuff and get some counsel as well. Good, good counsel before you make any decisions in this business. Uh, that's the only thing that I can honestly say they need to do because I just did something that I didn't do and I should have done. Right. You know, I would have liked to have someone have told me that, you know, when I was young. But that's about it. The rest of, the rest of it, you can wing it. It's just common sense, you know, uh, with, with a lot of twists and turns. So you guys got to just be aware of that. But it's a beautiful business because you get to express yourself. And the best advice I can give you is to find a walk in life where you can be honest with yourself and with everybody else. And then your life will be magical. It truly will. That was Shaka Khan. See her on Disney Plus in The One and Only Ivan. Before we move on to the next segment, I have a really cool contest that I want to tell you about. In celebration of Tenant, that's the new big movie from Christopher Nolan, Warner Brothers Canada is looking to find Canada's next big filmmaker. Whether you're a professional filmmaker or a casual cell phone videographer, anyone can enter. Create a short video, and by that we mean 55 seconds or less, that shows your interpretation of time by bending the rules as we know them. So that's fast forward, slow motion, reverse, whatever you like. The winners will receive, check this out, $10,000, have their video premiered on eTalk, and the video will run in the Cineplex pre-show nationwide in English theaters that are open and operating throughout September. Videos must be published to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Vimeo. A link to the videos posted on social must be submitted at the contest entry page, and that is warnerbrotherscanada.com forward slash inspired by tenant. Everyone is encouraged to post with hashtag inspired by tenant. Entry videos must be original, and they can't contain any music or third-party materials. That's songs, music scores, brand logos, graphics, that kind of thing. The contest is on right now until September 7th and is open to Canadian residents. More info is available on all the Warner Brothers Canada social pages. Find that at, at Warner Brothers CA. I'll be judging the competition, and I cannot wait to see the cool stuff that everyone comes up with. Best of luck, all. I have an admission to make. The SpongeBob SquarePants movies make me laugh. 
There's a couple of ones that have played in theaters already. This weekend, a new one opens in theaters only in Canada. It's called the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. And SpongeBob SquarePants, as voiced by one of my guests in this segment, Tom Kenny, is an unlikely pop culture hero. He's a peppy and optimistic sea sponge. He should be a one-joke wonder, but for more than two decades, the character who looks, and you know this, right? You've seen the memes, you've seen the shows, you've seen the movies. He looks like a bright yellow kitchen sponge with googly eyes and little brown shorts, but he has soaked up love from kids and adults alike for decades. The new CGI movie, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, playing in theaters right now, sees the animated invertebrate living in the underwater city of Bikini Bottom, where he is a fry cook at Krusty Krab, the most successful restaurant in the sea. Life is good for SpongeBob and his friends like the dim-witted but funny starfish Patrick, played by my other guest, Bill Fagerbaki, and restaurateur Mr. Krabs until... SpongeBob's beloved pet Gary the Snail is kidnapped by the wicked and vain ruler of the lost city of Atlantic City. With the help of Patrick and a wise tumbleweed played by Keanu Reeves, SpongeBob sets off on a perilous rescue mission. The SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, brings with it the usual anarchy and inside jokes and unexpected celebrity cameos, but at its little beating heart, is SpongeBob. It's a character who belongs in the same group of entertainers as, I think, Soupy Sales, Stan Laurel, Pee Wee Herman. Like his predecessors, he is sweet and unpredictable with a surreal streak that transcends silly and I think borders on high art. That's why SpongeBob has survived and thrived as other characters of his vintage have faded. He's silly enough for kids, but surreal enough for parents, and underneath it all is a current of decency that transcends age. It was really thrilling to sit down and talk with Tom Kenny and Bill Fagerbaki about their characters, SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr. The movie is in theaters right now, and it's called the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. Let's get to the interview. The lost city of Atlantic City. Boy, I hope we don't lose focus. Look, I wouldn't worry about us losing. Cotton candy. Ice cream. So you have been doing these characters for 20 years. People have grown up listening to you. Kids still love you. Adults still love you. How does that make you feel? Man, man, are we lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's nothing prepares you for what uh, we've experienced with this uh, with this cartoon, I, and nothing. It's uh, no no one prepared Steven Hillenburg for what would happen with his creation. It is a singular experience in in so many ways. Well, singular is right. There there really is nothing like it. Like to stumble into this gig, which you know, as journeyman knucklehead actors, you're just glad to have a gig. <laughs> then a gig that lasts for a while, that's good too. But then a job that appears to have, and I think after twenty plus years, we would know if it has a downside. Uh, there's no, <laughs> uh, you know, although being a dour Irish guy, I'm always waiting for a shoe to drop. But, right, but, right. There's, uh, but there's a, it really is amazing. Like it really is all good vibes right like the like the job is fun the people are, are fun 20 years later it still feels creative and like and like a place that i would 
I'm, you know, we're glad when the show gets picked up. It's not like, oh, I'm ready to move on to other things. You know, I'm, I could, I could do that drama that I've been wanting that, you know, that drama about the the murders that I've been wanting to do. Yeah, you know, it's like there's really no downside, and 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 people just love it. And, and Bill and I were talking earlier, like just you know, it's always a comfort food and kind of a safe place for for people that grew up with it and their kids and everything. But now more than ever, that safe place seems to have huge value that it even more than it did before yeah, well and and, the, and who could have predicted the way it weaves into digital culture you know with this thing that just blew up all over the world and somehow spongebob found its way into well, with that the memes and, with the memes and everything yes yeah, spongebob yes. Is kind of a little ahead of digital culture like our first movie uh um uh, we couldn't have done a press tour like this, right? right. In 1994, which, which to me doesn't seem that long ago, but 2004. Was, uh, yeah, 2004. Yeah. yeah, sorry, it's 2004. <laughs> uh, which, which, yeah, sorry, I, I lose track of time when I'm locked up with my wife and kids for three months, four months. But, but, but it's a, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like an epic ago, but it kind of is, you know, in terms of what, what's happened with the technology in the world and just how stuff gets done so the end product we're just making dumb funny cartoons that hopefully will make people the silliness that'll make people laugh but the delivery system and how you uh you know get it out there has changed drastically i smell a road trip that could be my breath i wonder about both of your perspectives on this because not a day goes by on my Twitter or Facebook or whatever account where there's not a SpongeBob meme that comes up with something. And I'm assuming it happens to both of you as well. When it happens to you, is it like a little lightning bolt? Or you're just so used to seeing it now that you're like, oh, it's, uh, it, it's like my work is following me at home and everywhere I go. <laughs> no, I, I haven't hit that point. I don't, I don't see anyone that we're involved with on the show uh, hit that point yet i think everyone yeah. still takes great delight in, in in everything and and i love you know people will like see some weird patrick thing and send send it to me it it always makes my day you're listening to my interview with tom kenny and bill fagerbaki they are the voices of spongebob squarepants and patrick star in the movie the spongebob movie sponge on the run yeah it's uh it's funny like i, I guess especially when like it might be different if the characters had our faces, but, but, but you know what I mean? Like, if, but, but the fact that <laughs> it, they're kind Absolutely of, drawing, yeah, if it looked like, like us, it would probably be, Oh God. Yeah. You know, but yeah, if I love the whole meme culture, like where people will see an, an image of SpongeBob that had a whole different intent when it came out, but they go, Oh, that drawing reminds me of the feeling I get when this happens. And then they kind of recaption this, drawing or this extreme pose or whatever it like that's amazing like culturally to me that's kind of like weird folk art or something like 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 dumpster like somebody that finds some cool thing in a dumpster and then and then makes some piece of art out of it it's today's hobo art <laughs> yes it's hobo art it's like hobo picture frames yeah i love it <laughs> hello call me sage good name i'm made out of sage and i am a sage so it works out pretty well. I'm Patrick. My name means toaster in Celtic. Pretty sure it doesn't. I love this movie because it is optimistic. It is about the power of friendship and loyalty. Uh, all these messages that have been woven throughout everything in the Sponge, SpongeBob culture. Uh, but for right now, 
for this minute that the movie comes out, uh, it seems like for me anyway, that they resonate a little bit more loudly right now. I think maybe that's part of why SpongeBob has stayed so popular and Patrick and all the characters, because there is this kind of real human thing that goes along with these extremely silly characters. Uh, how do you see the popularity uh, having lasted for this long? SpongeBob is, is, um, it's life like writ, you know, writ large and loud, right? The colors are brighter. The music is crazier. The, 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 the emotions that the characters feel are, are, are never in between. They're always extremes. So, you know, I think it's kind of very easy for people to identify with because it's really clear and that's what cartoons and, and, you know, both print and, and celluloid cartoons are about is, is just kind of broad strokes and bam. And I think part of it is that, and I think part of it is just that ongoing trust relationship that you have with, with characters that you like. And it's, it's, it's the, uh, it's, it's comfort food, but it's comfort food that, that doesn't appear to have too many deleterious uh, health uh, uh, concerns uh, <laughs> attached to it. So, so it's, so, so it's better than hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, there's a certain amount of what you're talking about, and, and it's kind of an enigma. It's kind of a mystery because if it was a formula, then everyone, you know, would would try and do the formula. And uh, and a part of it is just uh, <clears throat> starting with an idea, was for like we have a Stephen Hillenburg, and what happens with it. And uh, and Hillenburg was such a unique, special human being. Uh, I think that that set up the whole thing. Yeah, everything flowed from him. You know, it was all on paper uh, in his desk drawer before it was ever a show, long before it was a show. So so really, you know, all the DNA and all the fingerprints that kind of made it what it is, you know, were 100% him. And then he put together this team, which he was really good at, and, and you know, most of which are still working on the show 20-something years later, which helps too. Um, mm. uh <clears throat> Yeah, he he really he really just he just kind of knew what he was doing in in instinctively, and, and you know I mean he was smart too, but 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 he wasn't like a big strategy. I want to conquer the world of show business guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, being a mogul was probably close to the bottom of his list of stuff he cared about. But <laughs> well, thank you so much. Congratulations on the film. Thank you. And uh, I hope in 20 years from now, we can have uh, a similar conversation to this about SpongeBob okay. part, uh, what would it be, 10? 10 or 12 on the movies. <laughs> yes, nice to see you again, Richard. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. This is going to be like a buddy movie. Oh, I love your sense of irony, Patrick. Thank you. <laughs> I love my sense of ironing, too. That was Bill Fagerbaki and Tom Kenny, the voice of Patrick Starr and SpongeBob SquarePants. You can see their new film, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, in theaters right now. I'd like to thank them. Also, big thanks goes out to Kaja. Find her album Crave wherever you legally rent or download music. And of course, the great Shaka Khan. See her in The One and Only Ivan on Disney+. As always, though, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. Thanks very much. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay healthy, stay happy, and we'll talk again soon.